2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to be closing out the chapter. We're going to begin with verse 24. Paul writing to Timothy says, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul's focus has been on the roles and responsibilities of pastors, teachers, leaders, spiritual men and women, and the role in the church. Some of those duties have included reminding men and women, reminding the saints of the great scriptural truths that are found in the Bible. And of course, the greatest scriptural truths include the fact that we're created by God in the image of God, the fact that human beings have fallen, that the fact that human beings are in desperate need of a savior and that Jesus is that savior. And he talked about warnings about petty arguments in verse 14 and verse 16 and verse 23. And you've got to wonder why is it that Paul brings such a point to the fact that conflict and problems and quarrels need to be resolved. Paul gave some examples of false teachers, naming them by name in verses 16 and 17, exposing their error in verses 18 and 19. Paul then instructed Timothy to present his body as a clean vessel, to run away from immorality, to submit himself to God in verses 20 and 21, avoid evil, pursue what is right in verse 22. In brief, the leaders flee immorality. They follow Jesus. They avoid foolish discussions. They refuse unnecessary quarrels, verse 24. Now Paul is going to give further instruction about the character and the conduct of the doulos. The doulos is a slave by choice. Here it's translated servant. And so he's talking about the servant by choice who literally wants to honor God in his or her heart. And so, Paul describes the demeanor and discipline of the pastor in verse 24. Dealing with opposition in verse 25. The goal of bringing about restoration. In verse 26. And so it should beg a question. Can we completely eliminate conflict, strife, problems? The answer is probably not. I suspect that you are going to have challenges. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be conflicts. 
maybe in your marriage, maybe with your children, maybe with your grandchildren, maybe with your friends, maybe with people even within the church. But part of the point that Paul is making is that there is a mechanism that's been given to us by God through his Holy Spirit so that we can find a way to resolve problems and solve conflict. The pastor is supposed to serve as a peacemaker, not a peace breaker not a troublemaker. The pastor is supposed to be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. And since peace in the church isn't the exclusive realm of the pastor, or even the realm of the leadership of the church, people within the church are to be reminded, hey, wait a minute, am I being used as an instrument of peace or an instrument of conflict? In the church, we're encouraged to find ways to resolve problems that promote biblical justice and pay attention to reconciliation. And I'm more convinced than ever, I'm more convinced than ever that destructive conflict comes from the desires that rage in the human heart. And so we urge people to find fulfillment in Jesus, to renounce sinful desires and actions that contribute to conflict, to seek meaningful reconciliation when you find yourself estranged. We believe God's word is totally authoritative and sufficient for all aspects of life, including peacemaking and the peacemaking commands and the peacemaking promises to people who are in conflict. And so the peacemaking pastor seeks to persuade and influence by appealing to the truth that's found in Jesus and that's found in God's word. So the pastor's supposed to help those. Listen carefully. Help those who are confused about the truth. And you may think, well, I'm never confused about the truth. This is a sure sign that you're deceived. Because guess what? It's so easy to slip into wrong thinking. And so look what it says again. Paul, speaking to Timothy, says, and the servant, the doulos, the slave by choice of the Lord, underline it, must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, and like I said, that servant is the doulos, the slave by choice. This is the person who identifies himself and herself as a Jesus lover. This is a person who says, no, 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 I, I really do want to serve the Lord. I want to be a man or a woman who honors God, who obeys God. I want to be the person. I want to hear from God and I want to hear from Jesus. I want Jesus to speak to me about the role that I'm supposed to play. 
And I want you to think about this, particularly if you're involved in a conflict, ask yourself this question. In this conflict, have I found a way to glorify God, honor God, and please God in trying to resolve it? I want you to think for a moment. I want you to pause and allow the demands of the text to begin to soak into your heart and your circumstance. The person who's in a bitter struggle, the person who's in a bitter fight, the person who's in a bitter quarrel cannot, in honesty, submit themselves before the Lord and say, I am the servant of the Lord. Because look what the text says, the servant of the Lord must not strive, must not quarrel. That expression, by the way, must not quarrel in the original language could, bre could read, must not generate or breed the quarrel or generate the problem. The idea being that the controversy or the quarrel shouldn't begin with the pastor. It shouldn't begin with the leader. It shouldn't be the person who's going, I want to pick a fight with you. Or I want to pick an argument with you. <laughs> I'm tempted to, to, to give the illustration that you just gave me this morning, Harlow. Harlow and Yvonne are, are visiting from Albuquerque. And he told me, you know how people fight. They come up with arguments. They want to find things to fight about. There was apparently a, a couple of pastors who were arguing on whether or not Jesus was black or white. Is Jesus black or is he white? And both of them suddenly die, unexpectedly find themselves in heaven. And they go, finally, our conflict is going to be resolved. The argument is going to finally be resolved. Take us to Jesus. We want to see Jesus. We want to find out whether or not he's black or white. And so, of course, Jesus shows up and he goes, Buenos dias. <laughs> Mucho gusto conocerte. Yeah, we've got to find a way to think about these things where everybody gets to laugh. And so, Paul is describing his own commitment people pick fights but the bible says according to the bible so far as it's possible live at peace with all people well we've got to resolve this problem we've got to we've got to deal with this difficulty i get it but according to verse 14 according to verse 16 according to verse 24 don't argue over words to no profit. Paul warns Timothy, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. In the book of James, we're reminded, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. No wonder Jesus says, blessed are the peacemaker. 
The pastor must be, look, look at the text. It's, it's actually not for you, it's, it's mostly for me. The pastor must be gentle, patient, kind to some. Is that what the text says? No. Don't you wish it said that? I kind of do. It says, be patient to all. What's condemning about the text is not the command, but my foolish refusal to submit to the text. Jesus says that the servant of the Lord must be a servant of all. And no wonder Paul says the servant, the pastor, the servant of the Lord must be gentle, patient, kind to all. I am the one who doesn't necessarily want to start the fight, but I'm absolutely the one who's willing to end it. I'm your huckleberry. But guess what? Paul says the pastor's response is to be kind. It's to be reasonable. It's to be considerate. And I don't think I'm reading too much into the text. I don't think I'm reading too much into the text if I say soft, tender. Paul describes his own approach to the believers in Thessaloniki. He says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. To the saints in Colossae, Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another... Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. In what way did Jesus forgive you? Did he do it wonderfully, joyfully, enthusiastically? Did Jesus, by his kindness, draw you and speak to you? The pastor's demeanor must include, look what the text says, the ability to teach. We've already seen that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, in patience. And so here the word teaching isn't just simply the ability to get up in front of a group of people, open up a Bible, and have a few words to say. Here the idea is skillful teaching. The idea that's presented is skillful teaching. And skillful teaching comes from practice. And I think that this is the idea. You can't teach the truth and you can't promote the truth and you can't skillfully teach the truth unless you have allowed the truth of the word of God to soak into your life. Biblical truth helps us. Biblical truth helps us solve problems, resolve conflicts. Biblical truth helps us understand, well, what does the Bible say about anger? What does the Bible have to say about bitterness or resentment? What does the Bible have to say about these important issues? What does the Bible have to say? The pastor needs to know God's word in order to handle real problems. 
The pastor needs the leading of God's Holy Spirit. The leaders need the leading of God's Spirit. But guess what? The presence of the truth and the leading of the Holy Spirit isn't restricted to the pastor or the leaders. It includes you. Timothy would have to remain confident in the truth of the gospel. Jesus told his disciples, remember, remember everything that I've taught you. Remember the commands that I've shared with you. Be willing to observe them. And remember what Jesus said, love each other. He says, love the Lord and love each other. Timothy is going to need to exercise patience and wisdom and kindness. By the way, if you were to choose one of those, but you could only have one, which would you choose? You know, the Bible says, earnestly covet the best gifts. I've met a lot of wise people, but kindness is better than wisdom. Kindness is something that will keep the conversation alive. And by the way, when you look at verse, chapter 2, verse 24, and the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach. I, again, I don't think it's a stretch to say skillfully teach. And patient. The word translated patient here is unique in the New Testament. It's not the usual word patience. It's only found in this passage in the Greek New Testament. It's a compound word, which means you take two words and you put them together to form a new thought. The first word is aneko, which means to hold up or to bear. It means to lift up or to hold up. And the second part of the word aneko kakos, that word kakos means bad or evil. And when you put the two words together, this isn't just garden variety patience. This is the kind of patience that holds up in the presence of ill. This is the kind of patience that holds up in the presence when someone is doing something wrong. When it's woefully, terribly, obviously wrong. Because sometimes we give ourselves the excuse and we say, that person hurt me. That person injured me. That person hasn't dealt fairly with me. And so when Paul says, the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, be gentle, able to teach, willing to put up with it. I'm not talking about, again, a garden variety Patience. People have said to me, and I, and I thank you for it. I, I thank each and every one of you who've said, you know, I listen to you on the radio and you're so patient. Guess what? It's a supernatural work of God. I'm not patient because, quote unquote, I am patient by nature. I know that when you say something on the radio, it, it, it goes out. You can't take it back. But once you 
understand that. Once you understand that once you have that conversation with your wife, once you have that conversation with your husband, once you have the conversation with your children, once you have the conversation with your family and friends, guess what? There's certain things that you say that you can't take back. That once it's been released, the pain and the injury that it generates doesn't easily go away. The Greek scholars Arndt and Gingrich suggested it meant putting up with evil without resentment. The New American Standard says, patient when wronged. And I think that that's right. This is the kind of patience that refuses to give in to the temptation of resentment or bitterness. So how does the pastor persuade and influence? The, the tools seem to be kindness, gentleness, patience. Blaise Pascal, the very famous philosopher, said, kind words do not cost much but they do cost something. It takes an effort to say something kind instead of unkind. So how does the pastor persuade? How does the pastor influence? By passing on biblical truth in kindness. Think about it. In the text, kindness apt to teach or the ability to skillfully teach, I'm going to suggest to you that that aptitude to skillfully teach means passing on the information that's going to help people understand where they went wrong or how they went wrong. And this is why passing on biblical truth is such an important element. But guess what? It is completely undermined if you can't do it gently with patience and respect. The spiritual leader, the pastor, the minister, the man or the woman who is tasked with this role almost certainly should have devoted himself or herself to a great study of the Bible and understanding God's word on these important issues so that you can pass on the information. So clearly the spiritual leader influences with kindness, speaking the truth in love. It is true that people have experienced real abuse and sometimes they've suffered greatly at the hands of church and church leaders. And sometimes people curse or scream, or threaten, or act out. And for the spiritual leader, there's no place for that. Maybe this is something I wish I could say to you. Oh, by the way, I've exercised perfect patience and generosity with each and every person I've ever come in contact with. It's not true. But that doesn't make it any less true what the Bible is saying. My responsibility is to do 
exactly what you're supposed to do. That when I fall short, when I see that I have failed to do what the Bible says, my responsibility is to confess my sin, to repent of my sin, to look at this passage and say, oh, Lord, Paul pointed out that the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. And look at the pastor's discipline in verse 25. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, the pastor must not respond with arrogance. Or, do you realize I have an earned degree in Bible? Do you understand that I know the Greek and the Hebrew? Do you understand that you're an idiot and you'd have no idea what you're talking about? No, you're laughing, but you're getting it. It's sort of like, is that helpful? No, it is not helpful. The goal in dealing with those in opposition is to gently lead them to a correct understanding of the truth. This isn't possible if you cut people off. Or you tell them to go away and stay away. And so we have to find a way to maintain contact. We have to find a way to speak the truth in love. We have to find a way to be patient and kind and still resist the error. We're not looking to antagonize opponents, but rather we're looking for ways to calmly and gently correct bad thinking or bad ideas. Chuck Swindoll rightly puts it this way, quote, whether these people receive correction or continue to reject truth isn't in the power of the spiritual leader. Paul introduced a condition with a Greek construct, uh, construction that, that leads in the negative direction. Quote, therefore, if God perhaps, it may be a little too neutral. Swindoll says, quote, and I'm quoting at length because it's so important, a phrase that captures the negative spirit of the Greek conjunction might be in the rare event. So let's read it that way. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition in the rare event. Paul did, doesn't doubt the Lord's ability to bring a rebellious heart to repentance. He merely acknowledges how rarely it occurs. Swindoll says, quote, most people opposed to the truth remain entrenched in their rebellion. Matthew 7, 14. If someone opposing the truth repents, that means changes their mind and therefore their direction. It's the power of God working within them. The Swindoll quote is important for any pastor, any leader who has the unwelcome task of confronting people in the church. I'm going to repeat the quote, quote, most people opposed to the truth remain entrenched in their rebellion, unquote. I wish it weren't true. 
I wish I could say to you that every single person who lovingly, patiently, and kindly is pointed out what the scripture says about the subject, that they don't get defensive or antagonistic. They go, oh, wait a minute, you're right. Oh, oh, wow, there's something wrong with my thinking. There's something wrong with my heart. There's something that's gone terribly wrong. And I need to, I need to think thoughts. And I need to have a heart that reflects the love of God and the presence of Jesus. I wish most people who understood God's will and God's plan said, I am going to submit to God's will. And I am going to submit to God's plan but it's not true. And that's why the leader, the pastor, the spiritual person has to prayerfully and carefully understand that a supernatural work by God's Holy Spirit has to take place in the heart of the, the, the person. But even in the face of recalcitrant or hardened, entrenched rebellion, the godly pastor, the spiritual leader, must not, cannot resort to harsh and abusive language or unkind threats. So the presence of discipline doesn't mean the absence of kindness and gentleness and patience. St. Francis de Sale wrote, quote, nothing is so strong as gentleness, nothing so gentle as real strength. Thomas Fuller said, soft words are hard arguments. And now we understand what the writer of Proverbs said when he said, a soft answer turns away wrath. Only the truly strong can be truly tender. Tenderness is the mark of nobility, not weakness. So who are the ones in opposition that he's talking about? The context seems to indicate these are unbelievers. Why? Because of verse 26. They're captive to Satan. They've been abducted in their mind and in their thinking. It may include believers who are under the influence or perhaps deceived by the false teachers that Paul has been warning about over and over and over again. But Paul maintains it's God's kindness that leads people to repentance. And clearly repentance is the concrete expression that God's grace is at work. It's the evidence of regeneration in the heart of the person who says, you know what, I, I really do want to do what God wants me to do. The presence of Jesus in my heart insists that I do what God wants me to do. And so one of the fundamental marks of true repentance is a willingness to see our sin like God sees it. And then a willingness to forsake it. And then look to the word of God for the solution to the problem. And so he ends by avoiding Satan's trap, deception. Look at verse 26. And that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken by him to do his will. 
in that single passage, we discover the goal of the pastor, the goal of the spiritual leader is to bring the person back into fellowship, not to punish them. Clearly, the Lord doesn't want any to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance, according to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Sometimes sin is its own worst punishment. And so we understand that Satan is a liar. We understand that he's the father of lies. We understand that a person in the snare of the devil is a slave to sin, according to John chapter 8, verse 34, according to Romans chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. The Bible makes it abundantly clear. You can't serve two masters. You are going to embrace the one and forsake the other, or you're going to forsake the one and embrace the other. It's it, it is what it is. So how in the world does one in opposition come to his or her senses? How do they escape the trap or the snare of the devil? This is what the Bible says. It's a supernatural work of God that has to include God's grace and mercy. The pastor or the spiritual leader the man or the woman who's tasked with this great requirement is simply the mouthpiece. You're simply the mouthpiece who says, let's open up our Bible. Let's see what God's word says about this subject. What are the advantages of embracing Paul's advice? Remember, gentleness kindness, patience, instructing people in the truth. The advantage is the hope that the person who's in opposition will come to their senses. Fighting, arguing, quarreling, yelling, pushing, shoving, does it make matters better or worse? Worse, every time, every time. And so, it would appear that meekness and humility is God's strategy to deal with the schemes of the devil. In Galatians chapter six, verses one and two, it says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. Fulfill the law of Christ. I want you to think about that statement. You who are spiritual, restore him gently. The law of Moses invited judgment. The law of Moses said, the soul that sins, it shall surely die. The law of Moses said, if you steal, if you kill, if you do this, if you do that, guess what? The way of the transgressor is hard. The Bible says, the law came by Moses, but with Jesus came grace and mercy the verse in Galatians, you who are spiritual, raises an interesting question. Who's spiritual? Who's the person who's qualified? 
Who's the person who's qualified to restore that person in a spirit of meekness? Because the truly spiritual person is painfully, woefully aware. The truly spiritual person is painfully and woefully aware of their own inconsistencies, their own hypocrisies, their own deficiencies, their own shortcomings. But the spiritual person also has the tender heart of a shepherd. The spiritual person wants this person to live in love and grace and mercy. The spiritual person doesn't want to see a person living on the outside anymore, but able to live on the inside. And so, Who's the spiritual person? The person who acts with meekness, not pride, in order to bring about restoration, that expression, that they may come to their senses, could be translated that all of a sudden they'll wake up sober. Have you ever seen a person and you said, I hope they can sleep this off? I hope they'll wake up and they'll be in their right mind. I think that that's what it means. It's interesting to me that expression, come to their senses, it speaks of sobriety, soberness. There's a hint of diminished capacity intoxication, the kind of intoxicating circumstances that take place from the outside. Paul is leaving us with the impression that the false teachers are drunk under the influence of Satan, having lost their senses. And so a divided church is a church at risk. A divided church is a church where Satan can take advantage. And in the end, Satan serves as the source in order to fuel the controversy, in order to continue the opposition. How can you tell if a person has been taken by captive, by Satan, to do Satan's will? The answer is easy if you can answer this simple question. What is Satan's will? What is his purpose? I'm going to give you the answer. And I know that I'm right. Satan's will is to make you ignorant of God's word and God's will. Satan's will is to make you ignorant of God's word and God's will. I know God's word and I know God's will. Okay. Satan's will is to make you, if he can't make you ignorant of God's will, impatient with God's will. Ignorance and impatience will sometimes cause you to make a horrible and a terrible decision. When American citizens are captured by foreign enemies, the United States government will mount a rescue. They'll send in highly trained operatives, SEAL Team 6 type people, skilled, trained, 
warriors who are trained to identify the enemy and then eliminate the enemy. But guess what, saints? You're not SEAL Team 6. Our weapons aren't carnal. They're spiritual. You don't have a vest and a gun. What you have is the breastplate of righteousness and the sword of the spirit. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers of darkness. And so the peacemaking pastor, gentle, kind, verse 24. The peacemaking pastor, willing to pass on biblical truth. The peacemaking pastor understands that Satan wants you ignorant or impatient with God's will. And so the peacemaking pastor, the spiritual leader, wants to glorify God, wants you to participate in problem solving and conflict resolution where Jesus is glorified. And so, that means sometimes we have to ask the hard question. What contribution have I made in this ongoing conflict? How can I participate in patience and kindness and wisdom? I want to just give you a couple of suggestions that have served me well over the years. In order to glorify God, we have to come to an ever-increasing dependence on God's spirit, God's grace, and God's word. We have to understand and accept that God, God's undeserved love and God's undeserved mercy and God's undeserved forgiveness and strength and wisdom, all of these things come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And then we have to make an effort. And it really will require an effort to live at peace with all people. And remember, remember, remember that in the presence of conflict, the reputation of Jesus is always at risk. How you solve problems and resolve conflict will in fact reflect on your relationship with Jesus. So ask God, to help you, to trust him, to obey him, to imitate and acknowledge him in the fiery furnace of conflict, guard against Satan's schemes, guard against lies and false teaching, which are designed to promote pride and selfishness and incite bitter conflict. Use conflict as an opportunity to glorify God, to honor him, Allow God to prune yourself, or myself for that matter, of sinful attitudes and habits. Allow it to help you grow to be more like Jesus. See your resources in Christ, in his word. Ask Jesus to help you hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, I pray, even now, that if there is some pressing matter, a husband, a wife, a family member, 
friend, if there's some pressing matter. Lord, I pray that that conflict would come front and center. Lord, I pray that these words would help us. Lord, I don't believe even for a moment that, that does this mean all the conflict is going to go away, all the problems are going to go away, all the difficulties are going to go away. Not necessarily, but Lord, I pray, I pray that you would help us. Lord, I pray that you would help us see and understand and be willing to participate in making peace instead of making trouble. And so again, Lord, as we walk into this glorious future that you have assigned to us as a, as a church, Lord, I pray that we could be an ever-present reminder to people who are hurt and broken that Jesus really is the solution to the problem of sin, that forgiveness is really available, and that broken people can be made whole because of the gospel. And even broken relationships can be restored. When men and women who identify themselves as Jesus lovers, really want to glorify God in solving the problem and resolving the issue. And so Lord, again, as we worship you in these last closing songs, as we gather and prepare our hearts for communion, Lord, we pray that we will remember the sacrifice of Jesus the suffering of Jesus and the purchase of our forgiveness so that we could, in fact, honor you and glorify you in our friendships and in our relationships with one another. In Jesus' name, amen.